Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Really glad you guys are here. Uh, we've been in the series called Empowered. We're actually wrapping it up uh, today. So uh, we've actually sort of been leading up to today. Uh, this is Pentecost Sunday. And historically, through the life of the church for centuries now, um, this is a day that we celebrate what was essentially the birth of the church, uh, capital C Church, uh, the church in the world, that uh, when the Holy Spirit came and baptized people in Acts chapter 2, um, it began the expansion of God's church, specifically empowered by His Spirit to do so. So it's kind of like the capital C Church's birthday. It's kind of a big deal. Um, this comes out of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read uh, a number of verses. I think the first 12 verses is what we're going to look at here together, and then we'll talk about it for a little bit. Uh, Acts chapter 2, we'll start with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the house where they were staying. Already there's such incredible things that are happening. I know we just read a couple verses, but let's just pause and go, that's crazy. Like what what I just read to you is full-scale bonkers. The wind was blowing indoors. Like the wind doesn't blow inside. The wind, I mean, if you sit in the wrong place maybe and you you get near the vents, it might hit you. But like this is a violent rushing wind blowing inside. That's strange. Well, it doesn't actually say that the wind was blowing. It says the sound of a violent... So maybe, maybe they just heard the wind inside and didn't experience the wind blowing. I think that's even weirder, okay? When I imagine how that might happen, I think, oh, okay, somebody like left their Bluetooth speaker on and there was like they left their sleep sounds on or something. And so that's how you hear. There, there was no capacity for anything like that 2,000 years ago. This is strange, So it came, it filled the whole house where they were staying. Now, verse 3, it gets so much weirder. Okay, verse 3, they saw tongues like flames of fire. Try to picture that. Those two things don't belong together, but tongues, fire, flames. They separated, so came in at once and then spread out, rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So now they're speaking different languages. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Let me quickly explain why that was. Uh, There were uh, devout Jews who had scattered all over the world. They came to Jerusalem for really big festivals. um, And this they were in Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Jewish festival of Shavuot, or sometimes uh, you may have heard it called the Feast of Weeks. There were three really big festivals on the annual Jewish calendar. This is one of the three. Okay? So that's what's going on. So they're all there. So picture this, at least, again, at least just try to picture it. 
Verse 6, when this sound occurred, a crowd came together. So people outside could hear it too. A crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded. They were amazed saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. I was pausing for applause. I practiced that. There was a lot of hard words all at once, but... So we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, this will be our last one. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? All right, folks, that's, that's, a, that's an incredible story. That's an incredible, and I think that's the right question to ask. What is this about? And, and I know that when I read this story, I even did it just now, um, I get caught up in the strangeness of the happenings, and I think, what? Like, I focus on the what. Like, what would that have been like? What would that have looked like? What must they have thought? What must they have felt? What would it have been like to be there, et cetera, et cetera? And I think, well, what are the... I get caught up in stuff like this. It's silly. Well, like, what are the mechanics of, of the miracle? Like, were they speaking the actual language and that's what the people heard? Or was the miracle that the people were hearing a different language and, but in their own minds what they heard was actually their language? Like... Or, or are, they, are they speaking some sort of universal heavenly language that people just know? Like, I have questions. I have so many questions. What is happening? And fair enough, um, it's a remarkable story. Makes sense to kind of wonder how it all went down. But when I focus on the what of it all, the mechanics of it all, I'm, I, I'm not focusing on the why. Uh, the question that, the right question was asked at the end of the text. Like, what is this about? Like, why did God do this? And, and what does this mean? So we're going to look at some of that, certainly not all. Um, first, uh, I want you to just think about the part where it says that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Just think about, just think about that. Filled with, picture that, imagine. Well, like, what does it mean to be filled with something? I mean, as literal as possible, just face value. What does it mean to be filled with something? is they are being filled with the Spirit. That means they're just full. They're just full of God. Just full of God. Like a balloon is filled with air. Like your cup is filled with coffee. It's just filled. God was just, he's just in there. <laughs> and, and what's in there is what comes out, right? Like what's in here is what comes out here. Like you guys all, um, I don't want to offend you, but you guys all know somebody's full of crap, don't you? Don't point at anybody, okay? <laughs> yep, right there. No, don't do that. Um, all right, so, I mean, you're probably too holy to say words like that, but um, when we say that, when somebody's full of crap, we say that because that's what comes out of them, right? That's what's in them. It's just garbage, and that's what comes out. If you're filled with the spirit of the living God, then that's just what comes out, man. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. They're filled with the Spirit, and then what just comes pouring out of them, just the, declaring the greatness and the wonder of God, it just pours out of them because they're filled with it. They're filled with it, 
and they're so full that it just comes pouring out unprovoked, the wonder of God. Keep reading the story, somebody protests, and they go, oh, they're just drunk, you know? They're just acting weird. That's a fair enough assumption. People act weird. Well, they're probably drunk, and they're acting weird, so that's what they said. And then Peter jumps in, and he's like, guys, they're not drunk. It's 9, it's nine o'clock in the morning, really. And, and, and maybe he didn't say this, but he could probably have added, typically, my experience when people are drunk is that um, their capacity for language doesn't skyrocket, <clears throat> tends to kind of maybe go, so that doesn't check out. What Peter says, he goes, actually what's happening, this is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, where it says the Spirit is poured out onto people. So let's think about that. And again, face value. Just think of it as literally as you can. What does it mean to have something poured out? So they're, they're filled up, the Spirit fills, they're filled with it to the brim, and then the picture is it just gets poured out onto, on top of you, on top of all of that. Like just in buckets, just poured out. Picture the ice bucket challenge, just, just dumped. So you're filled up all that you can take so that it's pouring out, and then it just gets dumped out on top of you. That's to be, have the Spirit poured out on you. And then, and then later um, in Acts, uh, this is called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. All the same event, being filled, being poured out, being baptized in. Um, and that's actually, uh, we didn't read it, we'll get to it in a minute though, and, and in chapter 1, Jesus called it, he called it that. He said, you know, wait in the upper room or, or go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit and you'll be baptized in the Spirit. The word baptized with the Greek word baptizo, it's just a, just a transliteration. And it literally means to dunk or submerge underwater. Like that's, that's, what, it, that's what it means. So again, just take it literally. You're shoved full of the Spirit. It's dumped on you in buckets and now it's saying you're just submerged into it. Now you're, now you're swimming in it. So, um, here's my deep pastoral insight after lots of reflection on that. That's a lot. That's, all, that's, like a, that's a lot. That's a whole, whole lot. The, the picture that we're given is not, you know, the occasional droplets of the Spirit. It's not a gentle mist. Like, there's just so much. More than you can handle, more than you can contain, more than you can use. Nobody's running out. Nobody has to count on their own supply. Nobody has to hoard enough that, so that they have it later. It's all overflowing. It's an abundance. And not only is there more than enough for you, there's more than enough for everybody. And that's a big part of what's being communicated here too. And I'm, we're going to get to that. It's going to take just a little bit of, a little bit of uh, teaching to get there. Um, and this part, heads up, this part is just a little bit more nerdy, um, but you can totally follow it, okay? And if you're like, I'm not one of the Sunday school rats, I'm not a church kid, I can't. Actually, if you've never heard any of this stuff before, you can follow it. Um, you just got to pay close attention for the next few minutes. Who's in? Who's in? Come on, help me out over here. Who's in? Who's in? Okay, you ready? Okay. Are you? You ready? Okay. Here we go. Genesis chapter 9. It's the first book in the Bible. It tells the story of how it all got started. Okay. Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, uh, the flood happens. Maybe you've heard of that. If you're a Sunday school kid, you've probably been traumatized by pictures of it on the wall in your nursery. Like, why do we show children? Anyway, that's just a side note. Um, so you got Noah and the ark, that story. 
And so humanity at this point gets a restart beginning with Noah and Noah's descendants. That's Genesis 9. Genesis 10, it goes through, this is the part people usually skim because it's, it's just confusing and boring, but it's actually really important. It gets explained to us how Noah and his descendants then grew into 70 tribes or clans or nations, groups, however you want to think of it, 70 groups, okay, and this is often called the table of nations because it's like written on a table, okay, the table of nations. From that point on, the number 70 becomes a shorthand for all the nations of the earth. It's like a, it's a catch-all for everybody everywhere, okay? That's chapter 10 of Genesis. Chapter 11 of Genesis, all 70 of those groups or clans or nations, they're all working together on this huge, terribly misguided project uh, that we usually call the Tower of Babel. All right, Sunday school rats, that should ring a bell. Even if you're not, it's a really simple story. They wanted to build a tower so great um, that it would mark them out as the rulers of the world. That they, that they would have dominion and that they would have dominion even over God. So I'm going to be very clear, this was a rebellion. This was an attempt to take God's throne for themselves. So that's what's going on in Genesis chapter 11. God shows up and he confuses their language so that they couldn't understand each other anymore and then they all scattered. Um, this is how I imagine it. Um, in an attempt to overtake God, they built an anthill and then God came and kicked the anthill. That's my picture of what happened. And then those 70 groups, that the table of nations, again, they scattered they divided because their language was confused. That's Genesis 9, Genesis 10, Genesis 11. All right? Genesis 12. Stay with me. Genesis 12, we meet a guy named Abraham. He's a big deal. Okay? At this point, he's Abram, but Abraham's the one we know the songs about, so we'll go there. God promises to Abraham that he was going to build a nation through him and that that nation would bless all the other nations of the earth. The whole all the groups, all the clans, all the tribes, all the table of nations, the whole 70. Okay? That's the promise. That's Abraham in chapter 12. And then you got Abraham. Abraham was Isaac's dad. And Isaac was Jacob's dad. If you were raised in church, you might have heard about the patriarchs in the Bible. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's right where we're at in the story. Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. So from that point forward, the number 12 becomes symbolic of Israel. So 12 equals Israel, 70 equals the whole world. Who's still with me? Come on. Okay, great, great. So at the end of Genesis, Jacob's got his 12 sons. And what he does, long story, very good story about, about Joseph, one of his sons, he ends up moving his whole crew to Egypt. He's like, okay, these 12 and, and all the people who go with their, their crew, their descendants, um, they all move to Egypt, that group from the 12 sons, their whole crew. Anybody want to guess how many was in their whole crew? If you guess, you'll probably be right. It's more than 12. Come on. Yeah, 70. So there's 70, and that's interesting. The 12 sons and then now the 70, and, and it's, 
really not very well hidden what's going on here. The symbolism is pretty direct. This is one supersized family, the 12 sons, that would, by God's design and by God's promise, bless the whole world, the 70. Now this trend continues. Moses leads the 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel based on the 12 sons, okay? And then he appoints his elders to extend his work. There is a number of elders. The number is greater than 12. Who would like to guess how many numbers? Uh, how many elders there were? 70. Yep, yep. So here we go. Israel, the 12, expands now to the 70 who will bless the 70 nations who have been scattered. This, this trend continues um, throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. Jesus picks his crew, his apprentices. Shockingly, there are 12 of them. Okay? And then in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 to go do ministry together. And then in Luke chapter 10, he sends out another group. It's a bigger group. How many people would you guess is in that group? Yep, 70 in that group. Again, it's not, not really hidden as to why here. The 12 go to bless and then the 70 go to bless. What he's saying clearly, Jesus is the hope for Israel and he is the hope for all the nations, for the entire world. He is good news, he is hope, he is blessing, he is life. These are not coincidences. All right, we're almost there. Hang in with me because this is about to get really cool, I think. You might be like, Aaron, you're a total nerd. It's not that cool. I think it's really cool. Okay. Before Jesus returns to heaven, so he's got, he's got his 12, his apprentices, and then he, 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 he dies, he raised from the grave, and he's about to ascend to heaven. And he gathers his apprentices together, his disciples, and here's what he says. This is in Acts chapter 1. We'll start in verse 4. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about. Verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And then verse 8, very important. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. So picture just concentric circles. You've got Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Now that takes us to the text that we opened with, Acts chapter 2. They go and do what Jesus said. Takes a while. They're seeking for a while, maybe about 10 days. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Finally, and then there's this mighty wind indoors, out with that whole thing, tongues of fire. And they're all overflowing with the Spirit. And as they're overflowing with the Spirit, people hear it, a crowd gathers, and then they just come pouring out of the open room, uh, out of the, the, the upper room that they were staying in. They're kind, of, they're kind of blown, they just kind of go, and they come pouring out of the place where they're meeting, and there's people just standing there, just a ton of people standing there. Do you remember who was standing there? The nations were standing there. Stay with me. Chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Verse 9, I'm going to read it again. I practiced it just as well to do it twice. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figure and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own language. 
Okay, so listen. Now you've got the background to understand the significance of this idea. You ready? We're going we're to pull it all in together right here. Okay? Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, was a reversal of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. See it? The Tower of Babel. Remember the nations were scattered and their languages confused? In Acts chapter 2, they're all gathered again and they each hear the people of God declaring the greatness of God and they hear it in their own language. It's the Spirit of God reclaiming the nations as His own. The Holy Spirit empowering His people to be witnesses to the entire world. And in the process, the universal language is revealed. The universal language is the language of love and rescue and beauty of the one true God. He, he came for everybody. And as I was saying, there's more than enough of the Spirit. We, we get filled with it and we have it poured out onto us and then we're even baptized into it. And the plan for all of that, the point of all of that is not just for us to be filled. It's way more than that. It's way more than, oh, cool, I can do more stuff now. It's not that. The plan is for God's Spirit to fill the earth through His people to reclaim the earth as His own. Listen to me now. It is to renew all things. And the reason why we are filled with it and then have it dumped onto us and then we're even baptized into it it's because our mission on this earth is to join God in the renewal of all things, to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth, to the, to the table of nations, to the 70, to, to everybody. Because it's for everybody. The healing and the hope and the rescue and the redemption, it's for everybody. And what's amazing about the way God brings us together is the distinctions between the people, the cultures that they brought to those places, the diversity that they had, they maintained their diversity. And yet the language of God gave them the capacity to be unified in the midst of that diversity. That's a different sermon, but you should spend some time this afternoon with that idea. The Spirit empowers us to help, to redeem, to restore the entire world. So listen, look, for all the nerdy stuff, the dead simple so what of the whole thing is this. God wants to save his people, his whole creation, and he wants us to help. So he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do it. All right. So uh, I think the band or some folks are going to come and help me move toward wrapping this thing up and help us move toward worship together. Um, but as they do, I, I, want, I want to tell you a story about somebody in our church. A wonderful guy. Love this guy. He's a friend. He's been in our church for a long time. And uh, not too terribly long ago, um, 
he called me up and said, Aaron, I, we need to meet and talk. I, and I need you to explain some of what's going on in my life. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. So we, we meet, and we're sitting down talking for hours. And uh, I said, hey, what's, what's going on? What's the story? He said, well, my dad's been sick, and I spent the, I spent the night at, my hos- at, at the hospital with my dad. And I ended up just praying through the night, just asking God to come and, and intervene. And just would he, would he come and would he help? And I just ended up spending the night seeking the Lord. And he said, at some point in the middle of the night, I don't even know when. He goes, I don't know what I think I was speaking in tongues, I think is what happened. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I said, well, what, what happened after that? And he said, well, like so much is different now. What do you mean? He said, I'm different now. He said, here's the main thing. Um, I talk about Jesus all the time now. Like I can't not talk about Jesus. I try sometimes. When I'm out with my wife, she thinks it's weird. I try not to talk to everybody about Jesus. I can't not talk about Jesus. And he said, over the years, I've always, I've always prayed for people. Um, and, uh, and ask God to heal them. I've always done that, but it's different now. I said, wait, you stopped praying for people? He goes, no. What's different is now when I pray for them, like it works. So what do you mean? Like, like people are getting healed. I said, that's awesome. Like you've seen like a couple people get healed. And he goes, no, Aaron, dozens. Like dozens of times now. I pray. He's like, I still don't ever expect it to happen, and it just keeps happening. It just, he was so different and so transformed. So anyway, a few months after that, I was thinking about that story and how remarkable it was. I was thanking the Lord for baptizing him in the Holy Spirit, and then the Lord spoke to me and said something really challenging. He said, uh, he said Aaron, if you would lead your church uh, to seek the Holy Spirit, then maybe I wouldn't have had to sneak up on that guy in a hospital room. And that was, that was true. That was true. I want us to learn, we need to learn what it is to seek the Holy Spirit, to long for His presence. And then to see, it's so interesting to see, I mean, that story just parallels exactly what we saw. I mean, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and we speak the name of Jesus. It's exactly what happened in my friend's life. And, and you, might, you might hear me say, hey, we, we just need to really seek the Spirit. Like, really, really, we should do it. And you might go, well, what? Like, what exactly does that mean? Like, how do we, what, what does that mean that we do if we're going to seek the Spirit? And that's a fair question. I'm not really going to answer it, though. Um, because Jesus didn't really answer it. We do what Jesus told his disciples to do. He, he just said, go to a place together. And he said, it's going to be a few days. It's, it might take some time. And he said, just seek it and wait. Just get in a room and want it together. That's what we told him to do. Get in a room and want it until it comes. That's, that's his instructions. Those are mine. The language we've been using for this the last few weeks is we, we put our sails up so that when the wind blows, we catch it. 
And you might still be like, no, yeah, but seriously, what do we do? Like, what do we do? You just, what the Bible teaches repeatedly is that the people who seek him and find him are the ones who do it with all their hearts. So that's why I'll have one more bit of instruction. All your heart. That's how. Well, how long? Till he comes. What do I do in the meantime? Wait and want it with all your heart. And seek it. How do I seek? I don't know. It's natural. Just till he comes. There's nothing magic about it. Um, God goes where he's wanted. He just goes where he wanted. You find that all through scripture. God goes where he's wanted. Seek him until it comes. And when we're filled, when the Spirit's poured out, we're baptized into it, we just go and God leads us and he uses us to help take his world back. That's it. So, uh, we're going to do that for a few minutes now. Um, and you might say, well, Aaron, what are your expectations for? I just, I don't know, wait. I, what are you hoping for? I'm hoping for that verse in the Bible where it says they did this in one mind and one accord. I'm just hoping that just on the same page together we're like, yep, I just want the Lord. Whatever that looks like, whatever that sounds like. That's it. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Probably don't have time to wait long enough. Who knows? But maybe. And if you say, well, we're going to seek the Spirit for a couple minutes here and then nothing happens, so what, then what do I do? You just keep, you keep, you keep going. This afternoon and tonight, tomorrow, and maybe just do what Jesus said. Get some of your friends together and lock yourself in a room. Seek and want it. But how do I want it? With your whole heart. That's how. That's all.